You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Think again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to our 149th program of Think Again. Think Again is offered by Borderlands Cooperative, an organization that has been dedicated to social change for 25 years. I am Jacques Boulet, and Jennifer, my usual conversation partner, is not with us today. Today I'm talking with Melissa Willard and Tessa Stellar from Hackers, part of the many sustainability initiatives now all happening across the central Victorian regions. Welcome to Think Again, Tess and Mel. Hi. G'day. <laughs> Listeners may remember the interview Jennifer, my usual conversation partner, did with Nikki Marshall on the 23rd of April last year. And that was about community voice. Nikki shared how locals in the Shire of Hepburn deliberated together and elected representatives who were really representing them in the Shire, in the Shire Council. That is available on the 3CR podcast, by the way. That example of political relocalization partly resulted from the 2015 Castle Main Conference, Live, Local Lives, Global Matters, which was organized by a group of local activists together with us at Borderlands Cooperative, the Oasis Graduate School and the Economics of Happiness Global Movement, which is now called Local Futures. That conference attracted over 250 people, many locals in Central Victoria, Victorian regionals, if, if that's a word, already involved in initiatives aiming to create local, ecologically sustainable economies, enhance social and ecological justice, and reclaim democracy. The conference certainly acted as a trigger to enliven existing and not yet existing, but dreamt of initiatives and adventures. Nikki Marshall also told a few stories of emerging and growing alternative initiatives. In our community journal, in, in the last issue of 2021, she wrote about several emerging cooperative and um, businesses, all addressing aspects of ecological sustainability and people-based politics, and especially mentioned two such cooperatives, the Harkert Organic Farming Cooperative and the Gung Ho Growers. And I'm really excited that a member of each of those cooperatives or social enterprises, and they will tell us what they really are, has been willing to be interviewed and think again and share their experiences, their ideas and their ideals with our listeners. So welcome in, uh, again to both. And uh, my first sort of question would be starting with where it all started for you, both where the ideas came from and the real life project. What led you to start cooperative farming and what were the circumstances in which you decided to give it a go? 
And Mel, you said that you were going to take a start. Yeah, I'll have a go. I think they're such amazing questions. I'm just going to close the door. Thanks. Um, they're such amazing questions, Jacques, um, and mm -hmm. I feel like <laughs> I could answer one of them in half an hour. Um, <laughs> so I'm Mel, so I'm from Gung Ho Growers, which is an organic market garden, and Tess, who's with me here today, she is um, seller, cream house, dairy, and she we are both part of the Harcourt Organic Farming Co-op. So we both are separate independent enterprises that farm on the same land in Harcourt. Um, I think we're, we've, we talked about these questions before we, we knew. Well, you gave us the questions beforehand, Jacques, and it was helpful because mm -hmm. Tess and I, even though we come from slightly different areas of how we came into it, I think for both of us, it was a, an awareness of food systems and social justice within food systems is probably the most succinct way of saying how we got into farming in general. And then, Tess, did you want to say anything about how we got into the co-op bit of it? Yeah, well, I guess we, like um, Mel with gung-ho growers probably two, three years before me and then I joined. But both of us had the same circumstances of not being able to afford to buy farmland and wanting to farm and so needing to look at a different model for how we could access land to grow. And that's where we met Katie and Hugh Finlay who own the property and they were hoping to step back from full-time orcharding mm. and, and that's where the kind of idea of the co-op really started of kind in I mean succession planning in a way is a, a main part of it where it came from um, mm -hmm. and then there's so there's also the orchard that um, is leased out and we're always open to other businesses joining but so that's it's really that access to land that the co-op and succession planning where the co-op sits in mm. Mm. that's that's an interesting that's actually a very interesting link because that may be a story which is repeated numerous times in many, many farming communities, isn't it? So talking more specifically about the ideas and values that underpin your work, could you expand a bit on where you found the inspiration for, and of course, the knowledge base for your approach to farming, food production and food distribution, which you have adopted and adapted to your own circumstances? Yeah, well, Mel and I, in while we did it in different states and at different times, had a very similar experience, I think, in that we both sort of realised that we wanted to get into farming and then went and worked on many other people's farms and got experience doing internships and volunteering and little bits of paid work. And, I, like, I think that's the best way to get into farming is to just have on-the-ground on the work um, and seeing how other people do it and what experiences that they have and what doesn't work and what does work and, and building those networks. Um, and so through that, um, I guess we worked with a lot of other small-scale producers um, and that's where we got to with that. Um, and, yeah, what about you, Mel? Do you have anything else to add to that? Um, not for the practical side but for the, like, the inspiration underpinning it, um, uh, succinct Mel. 
past life as a social worker working with um, young at-risk people in the education system really gave me so much more experience and understanding of just how unjust our current food system is and how unjust our um, global food system is and so wanting to I think it's a it, it's I believe it's everybody's right to eat healthy, nutritious food that they can afford. Um, so I think it was that that really led me on the journey of wanting to provide that for the community that I ended up in. Mm-hmm. And both of your idea of both of your whoever of you has a farming background yourself. Uh, I grew up on a hobby farm, but not dairy. So um, okay, okay, yeah. I was familiar with work, being on the land and working with animals, but but not dairy in particular. Okay. And you, Mel? Um, my mum was a very keen gardener and I don't think I appreciated it at the time. But, yeah, we, you know, I was the kid that had homemade bread with beetroot that soaked through <laughs> with the homegrown lettuce. <laughs> Uh-huh. And I still feel guilty for throwing it in the bin a few times because I just wanted white bread with Vegemite. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I did grow up in that and I think, uh, yeah, it must have imprinted. I mean, how could it not have mm. imprinted in me? But I, I didn't really know that at the time. Mm. Of course you don't. Mm. <laughs> mm. But in terms of city or, or, or rural backgrounds of, of growing up, what, where was that for both of you? Yeah, mine was a very much rural um, okay. land-based system and I always mm. had lots of pets. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Okay, where we now sort of know where you came from, both in terms of uh, growing up and all of that, let's just have a bit of music. Marinella by Dr. Nico, who actually is a Congolese singer and musician. And Congo speaks to me because I spent three years there in my in my 20s so it will actually bring up a lot of memories and dancing marinella oyonko marinella boninyo selibwe maria rendezvous yesuke pa ya segon pote na yebisa yo ezalili nanga ya sika yebisa ngai marinella Sous-titrage Société Radio-Canada 
Think again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Today I have a conversation with Melissa Willard and Tessa Steller from Harcourt, talking about their part of an evolving network of alternative and localized initiatives in the central Victorian region. So Mel, in practice, to start with you, what is the local economic network your cooperatives are part of? I know that your produce is sold at the weekly Gasman market, but there must be more to this. Could you explain to our listeners how it all works in practice in the region you are part of? It's a great question. Um, and um, throughout the co-op, we all of the different enterprises uh, all do CSA. Um, and so I'll just explain that very briefly for those mm-hmm. who haven't heard of CSA. It's uh, community-supported agriculture. And the way that it works is the community or the members um, pay up front for a certain amount of time uh, before. So they pay up front and then as the timing goes on, they either get their milk, they get their fruit or they get their veggies. So that's a that's quite a core a core principle and value uh, which is part of the economic that runs through the whole Harcourt Organic Farming Cooperative Co-op. Um, uh, and then I think, yeah, so we do the weekly farmer's market. Um, Gung Ho also sells to lots of local restaurants and cafes. Um, and all of the all of the enterprises also employ local people. Um, mm-hmm. So in terms of being 
locally economic. I kind of feel like we don't, especially Tess and I with our businesses, we don't, we've directly chosen, it's part of our value thing to not, to not sell really outside of our, our community area. Because we don't need to. We're so small scale. We don't really need to. But also as a thing of we're here to feed our direct community, that's what's important to us. So mm-hmm. in terms of economics, it kind of would stay mostly in <laughs> in our direct area. So it is very hyperlocal, I guess. I, would you mm-hmm. have anything else to add, Tess? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess probably the only thing is that uh, with the CSA of the, the the idea being behind it that you share the risk. So, yes. but you <laughs> yes. also share that. So, you know, the the people might pay up front for a year's veggie box, and they don't actually know exactly what they're going to get in that. But they're sharing the risk that it might be a really crap season, or that mm-hmm. it might be a really abundant season, and that just takes a lot of the pressure off the farmer, and makes them able to spend their time farming rather than worrying about where they're going to be able to sell their produce. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also brings people, like I think there's a huge um, value in what we're doing beyond just the monetary system in terms of that because we're working with our local community, you know, they, we, we have open days and they come out and they feel, they feel very connected to the farm and to the way the produce has grown and to the cows. And um, I think that has a huge impact and value beyond just producing food and paying for it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think for us, yeah, thanks, Tess. It's so true. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that's something talking about like in, inspiration and values and stuff, like that's something that I know I'm very connected to as well. It's about building awareness and educating people about, oh, <laughs> that, that this is actually how it's grown. This is the people who this is what the people who grow your food or you know milk your cows look like you know this is this is what their week looks like this is what this week looks like in the 40 (laughs) degree summer or the you know (laughs) freezing cold or the wet or the wind like it's um it's much more of a it's yeah a lot of connection so so you're bringing back kind of the awareness and the understanding where your food and who your food really comes from yeah, so building relationships and therefore also via the relationship with you, building a relationship with the environment, with, with the ecology, with what grows and does. Mm. That's actually quite important, I think, isn't it? Yeah, mm. and people mm-hmm. – sorry, I know I'm going on a bit now. but yeah, no, it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> um, people, people, you know, I think just thinking, hearing us talk, like quite often we talk about how, how awesome or, you know, what that connection is for the customers, but I think also for us – the connection um, keeps us really accountable. Like, mm-hmm. also, we see we see the faces of the people who we give produce to and feed, and mm. you know, we see yeah. them weekly. And so, yeah. I have to be really honest, upfront, and able to account for the food that they're getting or not getting, as it might be. Um, yeah. And yeah. it's not just a faceless, nameless. Mm-hmm. You know, we 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 have that relationship together. So it's not just about them, it's also about us. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So uh, that's a really important message, I think, and also inspirational for other people who would be thinking in those directions of relocalizing. So 
now moving a bit wider and putting it in a framework of agriculture and farming in Australia and probably much of the whole world, what is the significance of your approach and why may it be of vital importance for the future and sustainability of farming and the availability of food here and elsewhere? I mean, I think the last three years have been really eye-opening for everyone around food accessibility of how like vulnerable the global system is mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i like with covid and with floods and with bushfires everyone's had direct experiences of what happens when the supermarket shelves aren't stocked um mm-hmm. and and what are they going to do and can they grow their own food or can they access it quickly and then and now uh, i know a lot of farmers and producers are talking about the cost of diesel and how that's going to impact and and that all of a sudden importing cheap food isn't so cheap mm-hmm. and can we produce it in Australia and locally. Um, so I guess the whole being able to have a, a localised food system, it straight away makes you a more resilient community because you you don't have that panic of we can only go two weeks without diesel before we have no food. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, so I... And and also just the building building economies that aren't based just on money mm. on it, mm-hmm. um, yes. leads to that more resilience of can you barter with someone if you need to or can you I know that we all have a few customers that it's actually we just do direct trades with rather than money exchanging yeah. hands. Mm-hmm. 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 And with climate change, I guess that's the CSA model as well changes that. You know, that's this great. year, yeah. um, you know, the fruit customers had to learn that if it, if they get heavy rains when certain trees are in blossom, then they don't get any of that fruit this year and mm-hmm. and, and the climate is going to get less dependable, which means that certain crops won't, we won't be able to depend on them being harvested and what mm-hmm. does that look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You're listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Today we're talking about an evolving network of alternative and localised initiatives in the central Victorian region, uh, regions and region. We, is an, or we are Melissa Willard and Tessa Stellar from Harkert, who are very much part of that regional network in central Victoria. And as we sort of like slowly running out of time, a last question, but we do have the time for you to elaborate a bit. In that uh, journal which we run, The New Community, Nikki talked a bit about the deeper motivation behind all of that, and you already touched upon it a bit in your previous response. Could you share a bit of your thinking about that with our listeners? Uh, And we do have the time to do so yeah, without having to cut off half half sentence. I think this question uh, always brings up some emotion in me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Tess and I were talking about it before. You don't do small-scale agriculture because you want to get rich. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you do small-scale agriculture because you believe in it and you don't mind hard work. And, um, I well, I believe, like, I, don't, I wouldn't be able to do it unless I had a strong community around me. And, you know, the co-op, the co-op is part of that 
and gives me that. Um, but I also believe for me that it uh, enables, you know, what I do working here with the land um, enables me to wholeheartedly and honestly put my values into action, which mm-hmm. I feel is a real privilege actually. Like I work mm-hmm. bloody hard but what I get to do is also really yeah. incredible. Um, like my office, my office is under Lianganook and under the sky and, you know, I've, I've, we, just, we just planted our eighth garlic so that means I've been here seven going on eight years, seven, I've been here seven and a half years now. And from spending that amount of time on the property and in and out of, you know, good mental health for myself and bad mental health for myself, I've been through here like the whole time and mm-hmm. I kind of can't, can't find the proper words of understanding how to listen to this country and how to work with it. And I think so much of agriculture is trying to control and dominate and own and get a reward, you know, get like get a yield and all of that kind of stuff. And I think what I'm currently trying to figure out how to exist is straddle the um, sustainable financial viability of a business as well as the spiritual and you know, the spiritual real connection that you have with the elements, with the other beings like the bees and the frogs and the snakes and, the, you know, mm-hmm. everything that you mm-hmm. work with and the life of the plants, you know, yeah. and really honouring mm-hmm. them and that. So doing both of those is my dance that I'm trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that really answered the question, but that's... You did, you did. <laughs> yes, currently where I'm at. It. Yeah. <laughs> Dessa, anything to add? Um, I, I mean, I think, yeah, Mel nailed it there. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think also the beauty of working so directly with your customers and the community mm-hmm. is key mm-hmm. in doing small-scale ag because, um, you know, yeah, it's not, it's not going to make you rich and the reason that a lot of agriculture has gone in the way that it has is because people want to make it more efficient and streamline it so they're spending less time doing it. Mm. And the reason mm. I'm doing it is because I really thrive on the time that I get to spend hanging out with my cows mm. in the mm. paddock with birds. Mm. And I don't want to streamline that or make it more efficient. Yeah, and, yeah. But to be able, I have to be able to make it economical. Um mm. And, mm. and and working directly with your customers and your community, getting that positive feedback mm-hmm. is also what allows you to do that. I think mm. if you would just, if I was just sending it off on a truck and never getting that positive mm. feedback of the people who enjoy it, it would mm. ha- make it harder to see it being worthwhile doing. Mm. Mm. Um, but yeah. seeing how much it means to people to get updates about cows or things like that and Mm. have them out to watch milking yeah yeah. makes it and and i would say that is actually it probably doesn't make you rich financially but it makes you rich in so many other ways Mm. i feel so wealthy which which long for and which we miss and we don't even know that we miss it yeah Mm. absolutely you need to now really make an end to this thank you so much melendez for spending time conversing with me and with our listeners and 
for users of the podcasts into the future. It has been really interesting and informative. And in the midst of all the bad news we are constantly being served up, it gives hope and shares a vision of a possible future. Something whoever comes in tomorrow, because we do, uh, we do have election tomorrow, to run this nation's affairs may actually learn a lot from what you have shared. <laughs> and particularly importantly, that you know that sustainable and local are possible. So thank you so much for sharing that. Another thing around uh, community announcements now. Uh, on the Saturday, the 21st of May, there will be the launch of an album by local musician Maggie Somerville. It's called uh, Walking of the Moon. Uh, and uh, it is basically based on the poetry of John Shaw Nielsen. The launch is at 2 p.m. at Brunswick Uniting Church, 214 Sydney Road, Brunswick. As well, election. Please, dear listeners, think about what you have heard today and in many of our previous Think Tank or Think Again programs, and may it somehow inform your act of voting. That's also a kind of a community service move which you're getting involved in, and we certainly could could do with some support from our politicians for all of this. Thanks for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio with me, Jacques Poulet, and with our two guests, Tessa and, uh, and Melissa. Thanks for listening to, uh, to uh, really important messages which they have given us, uh, uh, I think, and not just us as consumers, but also us as potential producers. If you want to ask anything about it from today's program, please email borderlands, borders at borderlands.org.au and just put Think Again in the subject line. Our programs are available by podcast and the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. Thanks to Clive Bourne for recording, music and all the care he has given us in our program during the last several months. Meanwhile, stay tuned for the following program, Jailbreak which gives a voice to prison inmates, their families and friends. And to bring us into this program, we have Milka Mana by Sting, King Stingray. Milka Mana.